In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Oh, okay. no, <laughs> They're puppets. No, and... <laughs> Muppets is, are puppets. This is gonna <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, I but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cinesnob Podcast. Welcome to bonus episode 12 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I am Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. I think I spit on my name when I said that there. That was kind of weird, but... Wait, there's uh, no there's no syllable to spit on though. Kingery, I don't know. I yeah, that's that's not water. a B or a P or a. It's off F. to a it's off to a roaring start on this uh, this bonus. I would episode. even call it rollicking. I would uh, a, a rip snorting family adventure. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, right now we're gonna take a look at season eleven of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Let's play a clip. We've got one! Mayday, Mayday, Mayday! This is Moon Phase 13. We need your help. Mayday! Showcraft initiated! You speak to I, Kinga Forrester, commander of the Moon 13 Research Station. I am reopening my family's most legendary experiment, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Movie in the hole! All right, Cody, uh, you are a recent uh, fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, I am a longtime fan, probably uh, since you were in short pants. Um, that means like a little child, by the way, in case you don't. Thanks, know for, thanks for the conversion my there. My old folksy uh, uh, lingo there. Uh, so I've been a fan of this show since I was in middle school, uh, I believe like 1991 or so. And you're a more recent convert. Of course, this is uh, uh, the show uh, that was on Comedy Central and then again on the Sci-Fi Channel uh, where uh, a guy and two robots uh, make fun of bad movies, famously. And it spawned a lot of, uh, uh, of, of that uh, sort of, of make fun of attitude thing. Uh, there's been spinoffs like Rift Tracks, who we've covered a bunch, uh, that features actual uh, writers and performers from the show. Uh, there was a thing called Cinematic Titanic a few years ago. They had the same deal. Uh, right now, uh, Trace Beaulieu and Frank Conniff are touring as the Mads, who I've seen a couple times uh, riffing movies live. However, the original Mystery Science Theater 3000 is back thanks to a crowdfunding campaign uh, from 2015. I think, uh, I believe it surpassed uh, Veronica Mars, right, as the largest I believe that is correct, uh, yeah. movie slash TV Kickstarter. With something like $5.8 million raised. And now those episodes are on Netflix, and you and I have seen, um, I've seen about six of them so far. I've seen three and a half. So we were provided under uh, some of the most extreme secrecy that I've ever been a part of uh, in reviewing media. 
Yeah, it actually scares me to be talking about this because something I feel like somehow this is going to get released beforehand and we're going to go to jail forever. We had to sign non-disclosure agreements with Netflix and Shout Factory uh, to even be able to view the first two episodes. Uh, however, as uh, Kickstarter backers, we've gotten to see the uh, the rest of the... Uh, we have available all the episodes to us. Uh, I just haven't had the time to get through everything yet. I'm sure there are some, some diehard... Uh, Misty's out there that have gotten through all 14 episodes so it's far. It's a time commitment, man. It's an hour and a half of an episode. Yeah, I've been busy this week. Uh, we had a, you know, the fast, uh, or Fate of the Furious screening the other night, uh, which we'll talk about at another time. Uh, and uh, just other day-to-day life stuff, and I've only been able to maybe watch like an episode a day. Uh, it's a difficult. It's difficult to do because it, like you said, it's an hour and a half each. I'm surprised they aren't longer, frankly, because they're on Netflix. Yeah, they must be cutting these down movies or cutting these movies down. I should say they've always cut the movies down, but uh, I thought that maybe with this, the the new, you know, the kind of, you know, make it as long as you want uh, outlet, they they do yeah. the full thing. But I, I probably in some cases blissfully they've cut it down. And the whole idea behind the the non disclosure agreement. Um, for the most part, has been to pr- well protect everything because we couldn't even we couldn't say anything about anything. Like the the NDA is l- hilarious if you read through it, but um, <laughs> but even like movie titles that they are riffing on were protected, and and it's weird because just in 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 sort of spirit of MST3K, it's a bunch of movies that like like it's, it's nobody's gonna read it and go oh shit like it's just they're just old crappy movies. Well, I. I... Look, I don't know the reasoning behind it. I guess it's to, to preserve the surprise all the time for everyone. I there's this is not a show that can be spoiled because there's not an ongoing plot. You know, it's just these guys are watching the movie. This this guy and two robots are watching a movie that's provided to them by mad scientists in an effort to make them go crazy. It's not like they're going to see what the movie title is. And from what I understand, there are some well-known B movies in this. Um, uh, the first one, the very first one that we were sent, uh, the very first episode of, the, of this so-called season 11 is Reptilicus that a lot of people are familiar with because it's a terrible uh, Danish attempt at a kaiju movie. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, there are others in there, too, in the list. Um, we, uh, I don't have it in front of me, um, but we could go over that, too. There's uh, Reptilicus and Cry Wilderness are the first two that we were provided. Um, and... Uh, which kind of, uh, I, I think is, uh, you know, the Reptilicus is, is the monster movie, which I think a lot of people think when they think mystery science theater 3000, they think bad monster movie. Uh, the second movie cry wilderness is a, is a strange, would you call it kind of almost a family film? Cry Cry wilderness is difficult to describe. Um, yeah, I mean it's about it's it's a it's it's what if Bigfoot was your best friend that that appeared like just you know once every But he doesn't he doesn't do anything except no. tell you your dad's going to get hurt and then you got to go help him. Like Yeah, he's like a fortune-telling friendly Bigfoot. <laughs> anyway, uh so judging on these two episodes, we won't get into the other ones until we're done with these two. What is your take on this return of Mystery Science Theater 3000? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. Um, and of course, you know, I'm coming from this from a very different perspective of you uh, than you. 
Um, because I've, you know, I've seen a handful of old, I mean, I've seen more than a handful of old episodes, but I'm not as extremely well-versed and I've stuck with mostly like the later era stuff with, um, the Rift Tracks guys, um, because I like them a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I think that the show is in the spirit of the old stuff and, you know, the experience for anyone who's watched it, you know, that there's parts that are really funny there's jokes that are okay and there's jokes that don't land and that's the experience and that's the experience you accept when you watch. And I think that's what it is. Um, I think that there is, there are a few glaring issues, um, mostly having to do with the casting choices. Um, the, you know, Felicia day and Patton Oswalt play the, the, the scientists here in this version. And, it's really, it's just, these segments just do not, every time one of them happens, it feels like a complete detour away from, like, making progress. Like, it's it's just, there's there's only one segment that I actually liked in the first two episodes. Um, with with uh, Felicia Day and Patton Oswalt? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, for those that don't know, uh, the, the, the trepidation, I guess, for most fans is this is an entirely new cast and basically an entirely new uh, uh, writing staff and creative staff. So uh, the 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 guy in the theater, instead of being Joel Hodgson or Mike Nelson, is comedian Jonah Ray, who I like, um, and I, I I like him in this show. He's he's good. He's he's good. Um, the uh, the robots, the bots. Uh, Crow was played uh, by a combination of Trace Beaulieu and, and Bill Corbett, who's now with Rift Tracks. Now is uh, voiced by comedian Hampton Yount and Tom Servo, who was Kevin Murphy for years, who is now with Rift Tracks, is voiced by Baron Vaughn, another comedian. And I find them both okay. Uh, I, th- I prefer Yount to, to Vaughn at this point. I agree. I think that he is a lot better. I think that part of the thing, part of the reason why I liked the the combination of um of Kevin Bill and Mike is that Crow and Tom Servo were characters like they were they were they came to life um and they actually had characteristics behind them and they were the voices were really good they were doing actual voices and Yount more more so than uh than Baron Vaughn kind of does that but he doesn't do it all the time so sometimes there's a voice to crow that's like a character voice and then sometimes it's just hampton talking <laughs> and um and, and baron vaughn's a little like he's he just doesn't he doesn't it, it sounds like he's just talking he's just using his regular voice and it's and it's and so it's it's hard at times to distinguish between the two um which is a big problem i have with it which is you know when joan is talking but the other two, it, it takes a while to get used to, and I'm still really not used to it, and I'm almost four episodes in, about which is which. And there's also some weird stuff going on puppeteering-wise, which I'm sure you'll get into. <laughs> oh, um, yes. But on my shit list. <laughs> I would say that the the riffing itself is strong, is, is strong in parts. I think that I, – I, I, so my favorite episode out of everything we've seen so far, and I'm not as far as you, has been Reptilicus. I think that it starts off really well. Um, Cry Wilderness is good. And then um, the third one I was not a huge fan of, but time travelers. Um, time travelers I wasn't. That was kind of a slog. But um, I, I think that the riffing is is totally in spirit, and I think that when you're in the theater with Jonah and the robots, it feels like MST3K, and that's really I think the concern of most people was that 
it would feel differently or it would feel um, overproduced, which it is in certain parts, which is a huge on your shit list. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I think that when you're the, the, the core of the show to me is the riffing and I would hope to most people. uh, uh, Totally agreed. I, I I do know some people that, that had a fondness for the so-called host segments. Um, I think those, like you said here are an entirely mixed bag. Um, and mostly bad. Well, the stuff with Jonah and the robots is okay. I think that, again, in Reptilicus, there's a little song that they do that I think is great. That song is yeah. really good. Well, the, the, the problem with I, that I have with most of the, the stuff with Jonah and the robots uh, is it seems really rushed. Like it's, yeah. it's like, blam, 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 joke, 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 and then movie sign, and they're back into the theater. Uh, and and there's a, that's another problem, too, in the theater uh, when they're riffing. Again, like you, I think that the heart of this show is the riffing, and I think it's okay. I think it's I think it's pretty good and solid in in this new revival. However, there are some times when uh, I don't know what the the temptation of theirs was was to get as many jokes in as possible, and it just starts to pile up at times. Like yeah. they, they're joking at almost every cut, like during an action scene, and these jokes are just piling up, and with the inability to to properly distinguish between Baron Vaughn and Hampton Yount at this point and then uh some of the delivery of the lines is a little uh you know pardon the pun but robotic like they're almost just reading just just trying to read it instead of telling a joke and and they're they're talking over each other almost i mean the the rapid fire succession of those jokes like none of the jokes have room to breathe and when you're firing off that many jokes at once that's almost you're almost admitting that some of them are going to be better than others because otherwise people would miss everything because they were laughing over it so yeah it's just a weird thing that they do in every episode where they just take these parts and they just it's almost like they you know maybe they had a writer's room where they had 10 good jokes and they couldn't decide which one to do so they threw them all out yeah um you know sort of like tv shows like parks and rec used to do this a lot where the editor would find so many great jokes that they would just create a smash cut of uh, of everything, then that's almost what it feels like here. It's just like joke after joke after joke after joke, and it's really exhausting, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, and there and there's sometimes that the the because it, you know the Hampton Yount and and Baron Vaughn aren't the full time puppeteers. They're they're credited as puppeteers in the show. I really wonder how much they've ever done uh, because there's a team of puppeteers that are like come up through like the Henson Jim Henson. Uh, uh, production company that are doing the the puppets in the theater, and some of the puppeteering is terrible. Uh, like if you're used to, you know, you're used to the old sh- show where you know you they performed it live uh, in the old show, uh, the original version. And this one, the theater segments are like a Frankenstein's monster of editing, and it from most of the time it's okay. Most of the time you can't tell at all. Sometimes you really can't. You yeah. can tell that these jokes are dropped in later uh, because the timing is I, I want to say it's almost too quick. Like it like as soon as the scene pops up, there's a joke happening or sometimes even before the scene pops up. It's it's too it's oftentimes too energetic too. Um you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff I, I feel like the older MST three K stuff breathed more. Um yes. In where where the, uh, there would be a joke and then a bit of a lull and then a joke and then a lull. You didn't have them, you know, battling each other for jokes. 
whereas this one feels like a volume based uh writing process whereas the old stuff um you know you had time oh, like even even like oh, uh, the stuff that i've watched a lot of with uh, again kevin bill and mike you know they're they're like giggling with each other like they're like like they're having a good time and and it feels like three people watching a movie together whereas this at times not all the time but at, at times can feel like people just uh, you know just being witty without any any indication or uh, chemistry with one another as they're watching it as a group. I agree with that uh, completely. I think there there's times that it feels like everything's running smoothly and it, it feels like the old way. But then there are times when it just feels like, hey, we had, uh, you know, Hampton Yout came in and recorded eight funny lines and Baron Vaughn had ten jokes. Let's see if we can pepper him in somewhere. Especially yeah. because there's a lot of non sequiturs in there. Um, I, I don't mind the non sequiturs. That's kind of some of the, the the charm of it but a lot of it feels like it like that may have been a joke that just fit anywhere you know? exactly yeah um there's another thing too uh with the uh the theater segments that's new i think uh, i know where you're going with this the animated uh like as the, in tom servo moving around and crow being able to climb around yeah tom and, servo can fly now I, i'm told i'm fine with him like flying into the theater I'm fine with it being a, a, a once in a while joke, but every episode now has had something happen where Tom is going to fly up out of the theater and or fly up onto the screen and stuff. And then uh, Gypsy pops her head in now and Gypsy's voice, Gypsy's no longer like a dumb, like a dumb cow is how I think they described her before. Like if you pictured like a, a cow that could talk, that was the old Gypsy. Now she's got a full voice and she pops in every theater segment and says a joke that's really not funny and then leaves and then leaves like it drops like drops an ice chest off or something i don't know what she's dropping off like comes in and drops an ice chest they there was one good in i finally in avalanche uh which is episode four uh there was one good animated joke um which was the where they handled the nudity in that? Oh yeah, where they uh, they had like drones flying. There's an old uh, there's an old uh, Joel era episode uh, for a movie called City Limits where there was nudity, like there was a girl's butt while she was swimming, and Joel just got up and uh, uh, opened an umbrella and walked around with it in front of the screen. <laughs> there's yeah. also a, there's also a scene in. Uh, have you ever seen Devilfish? That's a Sci-Fi Channel episode with the Kevin, Mike, and Bill. Uh, where this it's an Italian film and this guy is running down the stairs and the camera's low and apparently like one of his nuts falls out of his <laughs> out of his shorts but they put like the show logo over it briefly but the but like the robots and Mike react to it they're like ah balls or something I don't remember what it, one one quick thing about the riffing is um I it it's a weird mix of like like there and it gets it gets better later on but i was expecting more modern pop culture references and things like that and very early on in the first couple episodes it feels like a show that's written by 50 year old men and it's weird because it's it's well, there's a lot of outdated references in there but it like gets dana better gould and and uh dana gould's a writer joel's a writer uh uh i mean those are all old men pat oswalt's getting up there pat the lead oswalt's pushing 50 the lead writer elliot whatever his name Taylor? is yeah, isn't he? Show? Isn't he in his probably in his fifties at this Pro point? He's probably get close to it. Yeah. Uh, look, there's a lot of the jokes that are for real callbacks to the old show, 
And I don't know how I feel about those because some of them don't feel right. Like, look, the the original show uh, was shot in Minnesota and felt like it was shot in Minnesota. Uh, this new show is is produced in L.A. by a bunch of comedians who this is their side gig, who grew up on the show, obviously. Uh, and that's that's kind of one of the issues I have with it is it doesn't f- it it feels like the fans took over your favorite show and it's that's not always a bad thing but it's not necessarily a good thing either because it's just kind of an echo of itself like this is to me this is a different project wearing licensed mystery science theater 3000 clothing like i have i don't have a major problem with the whole thing uh, i do have some some big problems with some really dumb parts but the whole thing feels like like hey you know what uh, your favorite restaurant closed down, but we bought the rights to the to the name and stuff. And we're going to reopen it, but it's going to be you know hipper and younger. I I feel that way on some level. the The thing that doesn't have me fully there is that I think that the bigger victim of that are the are the host segments and the cut ins. Whereas I think the riffing, which we which we said was sort of the heart and soul of the show, remains largely the same. Yeah, but but they're making such a big deal about the host segment things. Well, it, uh, yeah, and that's the problem because they're ter- like across the board terrible, uh, <laughs> including one in Avalanche that is, I was I was watching that just about an hour ago, and I was like, this is let's, horrible. Let's drop what it is. Uh, there are some famous some uh, famous cameos that pop in. Uh, the first big cameo uh, in. Uh, Cry Wilderness is the the sci-fi era, excuse me, sci-fi channel era mad scientists in uh, Mary Jo Peel's uh, Pearl Forrester. There's Bill Corbett as Observer, Brain Guy, and then uh, Kevin Murphy as Professor Bobo, and they pop in in a in a fine little cameo. It's clear that no one was ever in the same room at the same time, uh, and it was shot you know days apart on a green screen. Uh, the next cameo comes in Avalanche, and there's some weird plot point about Felicia Day's character, who's Kinga Forrester, who's part of the Forrester family, uh, having a boyfriend or something. Mm-hmm. A long-distance boyfriend. long-distance boyfriend, and he shows up, but it, it, it's Neil Patrick Harris standing in front of a green screen talking to Felicia Day, who's down in a studio who knows how far apart they shot these things. And there's it's a song and it's fucking awful. Yeah, I was I was watching that and and I think I messaged you when I was watching. And I was like, this is not like someone has stolen my show. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> it's I mean, there's no other word to describe it other than it's just it's it's it is completely unrelated to the movie. Um, it's long as hell. It's a good five minutes long. Uh, it goes nowhere. It has no point. It's a bad song, and it's it's just it's like someone took the episode. That's actually pretty. The, the Avalanche is a pretty good episode, um, yeah. and it's just like someone just slams like not slams on the brake. Someone pulls the emergency brake in a car. And just be like, here, take this for five minutes, and then gets right back into the movie as if nothing happened. Well, I, and I don't know what I mean. Look, Neil Patrick Harris, if you don't know this, has been kind of a big celebrity fan for years, ever since he was on Doogie Howser. There's a, a famous uh, 
well, somewhat famous behind the scenes show that Comedy Central did that was hosted by Penn Jillette, uh, who used to be the voice of Comedy Central, uh, where they're talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Neil Patrick Harris is like the one celebrity that they interviewed. So he's got a history with the show. Uh, but apparently, like, it feels like, hey, they asked him if he wanted to be on the show and they wrote whatever piece of shit they could for him. And it doesn't make it doesn't feel right. Like part of the show, it's not even like a a funny song. It, you know, it's not. There's it's yeah, there's no jokes. The I mean, there are jokes in there, but they're terrible. I mean, they're. I mean, they're. It feels like something that was written for an award show. Right. It, it doesn't feel like it's. You know, it, it, like it, the the song, the the monster song that that everybody I've seen online raving about in Reptilicus is a is that's a Mystery Science Theater three thousand song. Yeah, the Every Country Has a Monster yes, song. Thank you. I couldn't remember the title. And it's and it's like and it's interactive too. It's where they've got a map of stuff, and that's that's a really great thing. That's that's where I was watching it uh, the first episode. And I'm like, wow, this is this is really good. Yeah. Um, and so far, there hasn't been anything that quite matched that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 just a it's a weird weird thing where it's almost like they said, "Hey, you want to be involved in mystery science theater?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." And then they came up with just nothing. <laughs> Look, there's there's uh, in the episode, uh, I believe it's episode six. Uh, it's Star Crash, which is a great a great movie for the show because it's like this cheap Italian star Wars knockoff. And I think it's a, I think it's probably the most solid episode I've seen of the show so far. That's as far as I've gotten to star crash. It has a cameo, another nonsensical cameo from fucking Jerry Seinfeld who uh, is, is, is friends with Joel. Like they've, they've done, they've done the comedians in cars getting coffee show together. Um, Again, he shows up to talk to to Felicia Day's character. Again, spends his time in front of a green screen, saying like it's like a fucking Leno style Tonight Show sketch. Like, you like it's like, oh yeah, you know what? We got to kill five minutes. Let's put something together. You know, it's not it's not awful. Like, it's not an affront to uh, you know humanity or anything. But it's in the middle of this show. It doesn't fucking work, and it's it's pointless. Like, you could not think of anything else. I, I don't need to see this. Like, could there not be just some sort of goofiness with Joel? I mean, uh, Jonah and the uh, the bots. I mean, why why are you cutting away for this? I don't get it. It doesn't it doesn't help anything other than to show like, I mean, hey, Seinfeld's a fan. He stopped by. You know, it, I, it's I I don't know what else. I don't know what other cameos are in store. I haven't gotten that far yet, but that's the biggest one so far, and it's not as bad as the the Neil Patrick Harris one. But it's another one of those. What are you doing? Why is this happening? Get to the fucking show, you know, and I yeah. think that's that was one of my problems going along with the Kickstarter uh, and the updates from Joel. Like, there was not enough emphasis to me on like the writing and the riffing, uh, and, and and those have proven to be mostly fine so far. Uh, it's all the other bullshit, like backstory and setup and premise that that the show keeps plugging along with that I don't really care about. I don't think I, and it's weird that Joel thinks that people would i i just i feel and i mean that just because the fan again the fans of the show and i i and this is just me presuming things but i would presume that most people are there to watch the robots make fun of the movie or in the in the guy down there with them like that's that's what mst3k is it's it's making fun of crappy movies it's not 
host segments where, you know, Felicia Day is singing to Neil Patrick Harris. Like that's not what the show is about. And so, you know, when 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 the when you look at how much they're protecting things, they're protecting, uh, you know, they're protecting plot points. Like in terms of like the non-disclosure, and even on the episodes for the Kickstarter backers, it's like don't disclose any plot point details or characters' names or character or anything. And it's like this isn't that show that this this isn't a show with the mythology that people are going to freak out at um, because that's just not the spirit of the show. And I and I feel like maybe they they tried to make it into that. I, I don't really know. There, there um, isn't really any kind of overarching plot so far. Um, that I don't know if you know this, but the Sci-Fi Channel, part of their the condition of them picking them up after Comedy Central had canceled the show, was that their executives wanted some sort of Sci-Fi plot line, uh, going through the host segments. So that's why when you watch some of those episodes, you're like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, because you're totally watching them out of order. Uh, that was part of the the creative staff was they did it because they were told to. They didn't do it because they wanted to. Uh, so that's why you're like, why are they in Rome now? What's happening? Do you think uh, that these that these segments are driven by Joel, or do you think they're driven by Elliot Kalan, the lead writer? I think I think this is Joel's baby front to back. Uh, Joel left the show. Uh, Joel's Joel left the show, and that's when the you know, the invention exchange stuff left. All the Gizmonics Institute stuff left. That's his deal. That's his his uh, you know his his plotting of this you know world it, it that's always been his thing and it's fine in small doses like look to me the host segments like you should have established characters you should have the the way that they act and the way that they they behave and how they would react to situations but these host segments should be things that you can drape jokes over you know it shouldn't be any kind of running gag or running storyline uh, you know, cause all the, you know, some episodes in the old show, you know, all of a sudden Frank would be able to get the, get over on, you know, Dr. Forrester or whatever, or sometimes Crow would be the crazy one or Tom would be the crazy one. Uh, you know, it's whatever fits at that moment, whatever's funny right there. But the Joel's attitude seems to be that people are invested in this Gizmonics Institute world and the plotting of it all and, and, and what's happening. Like the premise of the show is this guy is being tortured. Like it's an experiment to see how, how long it'll take him to go crazy watching these bad movies. That's it. It's all you need. This, this new one, which is a, a revival. It's not a reboot or anything. It's, it's definitely meant to be a continuation spends about five minutes on the setup of him, like hauling shit through space. We get a, a dumb cameo, a pointless cameo from Will Wheaton. And then uh, from Aaron gray, uh, who I don't, I don't know if most people my your age know who the fuck Aaron Gray is. Uh, that's the main character in Fifty Shades of Gray. <laughs> oh, she was on uh, Buck Rogers uh, and then on Silver Spoons. Hasn't done much since then. But anyway, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of neat little models and miniatures in this, which is fine. But then there's like this plot, like this, some underlying plot that, Kinga Forrester is using liquid to store movies and like loading them into this thing at the end. And I don't know what's happening in that. I don't know what, like, I don't care. I don't care about this technology stuff. I don't care. Like, you know, you're, you're there to see how mad he'll go watching these movies and then getting frustrated when he doesn't. And that's it. That's all you need. But there's all kinds of extraneous plotting and then trying to make her into 
I don't know, some sort of sympathetic character. Like, Felicia Day is is not good in this. No. Uh, no, she's not. And I don't know that it's necessarily her fault. Uh, no, because I, I don't think I don't think Patton Oswalt's not good in this either. Yeah, I, I just think there's not enough to do, and I, I love Patton Oswalt. Oh, uh, I do too. But I just, I just don't think that those segments have really much going for them, other than like, hey, we have to have these mad scientists. Uh, I I think the best thing that I can that I can say from my perspective is fans of the riffing I think will be uh, satisfied. They may not be blown away, but I think they'll be satisfied. Yeah, I think so too. I, I've I've seen a lot of um, of really euphoric reactions to it, which is fine. I I don't begrudge anybody for being happy that this show is back because I know the nostalgia feeling uh, is one of the best in the world. Sometimes I don't know that I need it though because I've had ten years of riff tracks, which is something that I love. Which is something I'm going to see a live show in a matter of an hour and a half. You know. Uh, yeah, and Rift Tracks is um it's a more uh finely tuned version of this. Well, those are guys that have been working together for 20 years or Exactly. More. Exactly. And and you and you can tell. Right. And you know, I don't not every joke of theirs lands. Uh they do some running gag stuff that I don't think is funny necessarily. But it's it's a it's a finely tuned machine and they know who they are. And they know their jokes, and they're performing them with confidence. They're performing them live to the to the to the screen, you know. And uh, it's it's this that I think that that some people underestimate the appeal of the talent. Sometimes they feel like the premise is enough, and I don't agree with that because I've seen some people do this stuff, like they're proficient joke writers and and funny at at you know they say they. They're funny people. Just this format is something that that Mystery Science Theater 3000 gave birth to. And I don't want to see just any asshole doing it, frankly. I want to see the guys that I like, uh, or at least that are associated with it, do it. I don't want to see some some jackass off the street necessarily. And I think think that that Jonah is someone who you could go, okay, I can get behind this person as a host. It's not like, you know, Mike Nelson was... A household name who stepped into it and everyone was excited about it you know it was well they were the the difference between that is that was like almost like a a repertory company if you will right they if if a part needed to be played it was like all right one of you what are you gonna play the part like you're just gonna wear makeup and a different hat yeah but but i also don't think that the host matters in terms of um notoriety or recognizability or anything like that so i think that jonah being the face of it is fine I think that the other guys feel, and especially Baron Vaughn, I think Hampton's okay. I think Baron Vaughn feels more like a guy that they brought in to record the voice. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the voices bring to the table. Maybe they're great in the writing room, um, but I don't know. I don't know that the voices become characters enough to where you can justify them being there and say, "Well, I'm really glad these guys are here." Because they're adding something other than just reading words from a script, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think uh, Baron Vaughn. I've, I think he's a funny comedian. I like, I like some of. Yeah, I do fact. too. Uh, I he was the I, I didn't know Hampton Yount. He was the one I didn't know coming into this, um, and I, I think Hampton Yount is way better. Uh, 
I, you know, again, I go back to this, like, it feels like this is someone doing it on the side. You know, this is something they, they went and recorded. I pretty, if you read any of the Kickstarter stuff or any of the behind the scenes stuff, this is all a pretty rushed production. And I think it shows in a lot of ways. Uh, I think they recorded the, all the riffing in about two weeks. And I think the, all of the host segments were shot in two days. Uh, so I don't know why they overcomplicated it that much if they were going to be such on such a time crunch. Because there's some really wonky editing in some of the host segments too, uh, where you can where the, there's an obvious cut that they've overlaid this weird like bubbling interference. Do you like the aesthetics of everything? I'm fine with it. Uh, I think the the satellite of love, the main set, is a little boring. Um, I'm I don't understand what uh, what giving Tom Servo movable arms accomplishes. Uh, but that's just a traditionalist thing for me. I, I don't, I don't mind the aesthetic at all. I think the, the, the skull guys are a little too kind of retro sixties. Like that feels like a, a Joel Hodgson, like just, he grew up watching, you know, Aquabats or something. And, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of that, but it's, it's fine. It's, I feel like there's probably there was probably too much time spent on it, frankly. Like it feels like there's there was more care taken into, or more care put into, like these little models and and stuff than there was like sh- like fleshing out how the how the rifts were going to land. Uh, and that's 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 of of the stuff that works of the stuff that's solid and I feel like is the show. I feel like that's the biggest problem is that there's just there's a, there's a weird disconnect there that 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 takes you away from the vibe when it's when stuff is coming too fast or it sounds too scripted or too rehearsed or whatever whatever the vibe is there. But. Yeah, I know. I I agree and I think that it will be interesting to see where where the show goes from here because they really are pushing people to watch on Netflix and uh ultimately for Netflix this is a drop in the bucket. I mean, this is this is cheap to produce. Um, it will be interesting to see, and I was, I, I was talking with someone, I don't think it was you, but I, I, I was talking with someone about Netflix and it, and it's not, MST3K is not necessarily a brand that has seen a growth in new fans within the past few years or decade, because it's, unless you're watching on, you know, uh, you know, Pluto TV, where you you have to seek it out. It's not like you can bump into it. Uh, well, it is showing now on a uh, Comet TV, which is uh, and who even knows what that is? I know, I know. So <laughs> the 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 I I think you're right. I believe you're right. The fans that are there are me, you know. And you you came into to knowing about it via me talking about it, you know. Right. And, and being you know going to the Rift Track stuff and being adjacent to it. There aren't kids, you know. There's no twelve year old discovering it on his own it's some but that's 12 year old being shown it by his 35 year old dad but the 12 year old discovering it on its own is how it built its fan base right I, so I, it's yeah. a it's a little it's the context is a little different so it's going to be very interesting to see how what happens in terms of the fan base flocking to netflix or if netflix sees an influx of people trying it out for the first time or maybe this is how people stumble upon it and then go backwards and check out what it is so I, I I don't see any reason that there wouldn't be another season, especially because Netflix just throws money at everything. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder if they will listen to 
some of the criticisms of their diehard fans because their diehard fans are the are, I mean that's who this show is made for literally the diehard fans uh, fans paid for it so um, I do wonder if you see something a little bit different in the next season when they've got some feedback and are able to know what worked and what didn't work for the people who financed the show. Yeah, I, and that's that's always one of the things I worry about with Netflix is, uh, and I, I mentioned it to you, like that they bypass the the pilot process uh, and just they order full seasons and then dump the whole thing out there. And there are things that work perfectly right away. And then there's other stuff like my biggest disappointment so far on shows that I was looking forward to on Netflix has been the White Rabbit Project, uh, which you, did you watch any of that with? Uh, I Carrie, haven't watched it yet. Carrie Byron, Tori Belleci, and Grant Imahara from MythBusters, where it turns into like half the show is them presenting reenactments uh, that are comical. And it, you're like, wait, I went, I came here to watch fucking MythBusters without the name MythBusters, and what are you doing, Netflix? That's something that could have been shaken out in a normal TV, you know, had this aired on whatever. Uh, and I, I feel like Mystery Science Theater 3000 has the same problems. Like, this is such an insular thing that was produced. And I feel like instead of, like, the old show feels like it, it came together almost all in one, you know. This feels like it came together in the editing room to me, which isn't a good thing sometimes. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably fair to say, um, and I think you can tell when you find some of the more disjointed parts of the show that it did probably come together in the editing room on some level. Um, and you know, it's it, and I can't stress it enough. We talked about a lot of the negatives, but it is it is something where I think that fans will be happy with. I don't know that they're gonna be like, ah, my show is back, but I think they'll be like, hey, I recognize this and. Uh, it's a, it's a passable and good enough version of, of what I like that, that, you know, validates its existence. And you know what? Sometimes that's all you need. You just need that slice of nostalgia. When you're pushing 40, it's, it's something that it's, it's comforting to know that you can just pop on Netflix and watch something that you fell in love with when you were a pimply 14 year old fat kid. Now that you're just an old fat guy, <laughs> be like, you know what? I remember this. I remember it. And then Neil Patrick Harris shows up, and your your night is ruined. <laughs> and then you go online and, and make sure you got your Weird Al Yankovic tickets. Yeah, that's that sounds far too specific. It's probably, and... it's, it's, probably it's a little too real for me. So uh, anyway, you can stream all of the episodes. Right now on Netflix, there's 14 episodes. It's gonna. Uh, it, I some nerd has burned through them all already. That's a Kickstarter backer. I know. There's been plenty of hours in the day for them to do that. They've been fueled by, uh, you know, Mountain uh, Dew. No, it, because it's re, uh, because it's back. They've been drinking Surge. They're just nostalgic oh. like me. They've, and they've got almost expired Ecto Cooler. They've been drinking. <laughs> um, Cheetos Paws that are back now. Oh wow, those are back. Uh, they're they're making their way around the country. I don't know where they. Those are, were disgusting. The paws. Yeah. Why were they disgusting? I thought they were just chunky Cheetos. Yeah, I I, I remember not liking them at all. Hmm. Sounds like someone had a terrible childhood, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for opening up that wound. Right. Actually, I had a very normal, happy childhood. Oh well, good. For those of you out there who got concerned briefly, <laughs> you weren't watching. You weren't 
uh, uh, hiding in a shell of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Space Ghost Coast to Coast like I was. No, but when they reboot Rugrats, I will be all over that. Some basic cable nerd like <laughs> me, like, no one else could possibly be watching this. That's one of the things that uh, that I, I we may have talked about this before. I know I've talked about it with somebody else. The, the one thing that you'll never, ever be able to recapture from that era, like, you, you have every every form of entertainment at your fingertips right now and it's a glorious age with the internet and and streaming video and stuff but there's you're never going to have that moment where you feel like you're the only one in the world watching this like i used to with mystery science theater 3000 or space ghost or the early days of late night with conan o'brien like you're never going to feel like there's me and like three other dudes watching this right now i agree with that all right, on that note, I'm Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.